Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are class number 15. Specifically, we're studying the subject of Hasid. Like we've mentioned before, there's no Hasid, there's no Simha. Hasid is not as easy as it sounds. And today we're going to reveal something about Hasid that may not be so obvious to the average person. Not because of its difficulty, just because sometimes we fail to think about it. But before we get there, we need a little introduction. We're going to go to Parashat Bereshit. It says over there that when Hashem created Adam and He created all of the animals, it says, Vayikra Adam Shemot. Hashem, He called names, or He gave names, Lechol Habehema, to all the animals that existed, that Hashem created. Will offer Shamaim to all the birds, will and to all of the wild animals. The Midrash gives us a little more information about what happened here. Why did Adam call them their names? What was the story behind it? So the Midrash says that when Hashem asked the Malachim, when he consulted with them about creating Adam, as we know, it says, Na'aseh Adam. So the Malachim asked him, they asked Hashem, this Adam, they never met an Adam, they never saw an Adam. They asked him, Matibo, what, what, what is he all about? Like, who is he? And how is he different than all the other creations that you made? Amar lahen, Hashem told them, Chokhmato meruba mishelachem. The one thing Hashem wanted to give them about Adam, which I guess is the most essential difference of a human, is that, Hashem, that they have more chokhmah. They have more wisdom than even you, the angels. How did Hashem prove that Adam had more wisdom than the angels. So the Midrash says, He brought behemoth, he brought animals in front of the angels. The wild animals, he brought the birds. Amar lahem, Hashem said to them, This animal here, what's the name? They didn't know how to answer. They didn't know the name. He gave Adam Arishon a chance to answer the question. What's the name of this animal? Amar ze Shor. Shor is what we call an ox. Ze Hamor. Ze Sus. Hamor is a donkey. Sus is a horse. Ze gamal, a camel. 
Now, this was not some sort of review test that they had on previously studied information. There was no textbook that they were supposed to learn before they took this test. Neither of them went to a class about animals or their names. That means Adam was able to come up with the name of these animals without having to study or even know these animals. He was able to look at the animal and say, oh, that's the name. And that displayed a tremendous amount of chokhmah. In fact, it says that Hashem told Adam and Mashimcha. So if you ever want to know who named us Adam, it was Adam himself. He says, Amarlo, he says to Hashem, Ani na'e Adam. It's proper for me to be called Adam, shenibreti mina Adama. After all, I was created from the ground. Which sounds nice at first, especially when we're little, we heard that. But when you think about it, it doesn't make sense. What does that mean? Because he came from the ground. The whole world came from the ground. Every animal also came from the ground. That's not the defining difference between Adam and everything else because we came from the ground. What was Adam saying when he said, my name, it's appropriate to be called Adam because I came from the ground. So our rabbis explained that he was saying something deeper when he says, I came from the ground. Not just he was describing the location of where his whereabouts are from. He was explaining that there was something very similar to him and the Adama. And the similarity goes like this. A person, when we look at a piece of dirt, we see something that is almost worthless. We see something dirty. We see something that we step on. We don't view the dirt as anything of importance. In fact, when you wanna lower somebody and put them down, So you'll often hear people call each other a piece of dirt. It's not so nice to do that. But when they wanted to choose a word that wasn't so nice, that's what they chose, a piece of dirt. In other words, you're nothing, you're a zero. That's how we look at dirt, like a zero. That's what the eye sees. But the reality is that there is nothing in this planet that has more richness and more potential than the dirt. Because even though it may seem on the surface like there's nothing there, something to step on, but it, when you look at it and say, oh, wait, no, no, dirt, the apple you ate this afternoon is a piece of dirt. There are no apples on the ground. No apples come down from Shemayim. So how does one plant a seed that has no apples in the seed either? You put it in the dirt, and all of a sudden you have apples. The answer is that the dirt became an apple, and the dirt became an orange, and the dirt becomes a banana, and the dirt becomes onions, and the dirt becomes every fruit you ever ate, every vegetable you ever ate, any green that you ever ate, 
they're all pieces of dirt. The dirt becomes all these amazing foods. Besides that, all the meat in the world is all a piece of dirt. Animals eat grass, which comes from the dirt. And that's how they grow their basar, their meat. All the dairy products you ever ate, it's all dirt, cheese, milk. Dirt produced becomes leather. Dirt becomes wool. Could you imagine all the wool that you have, that you wear? That's all a piece of dirt. Dirt became wool. Who could have imagined that a piece of dirt that's so useless to the human eye is so rich and has so much in it that it could become so special and so great? Adam tells Hashem, me, I should be called Adam, Adama. Because just like the dirt, a human, when you look at a human, it looks no different than an animal. Sometimes animals look even better. Sometimes they're cuter. Sometimes they're stronger. But yet, there's something about me, Adam, that's like the Adama. That even though I may look very simple, and I may look like an upgraded animal, but I am like the Adama, that the potential within me to become something so much greater than the way I look. You take a human, a human can act like a monkey, or even worse. And a human can become a malach, he could become like an angel in their character, in their refinement, in their, not, in their wisdom. You could see sometimes a human bright with kiddushah, with holiness. A human is capable of so much kindness, of so many ideas, of so much creativity, both in the physical world and the spiritual world. A human is not a piece of dirt. Well, he looks like he's a piece of dirt also, but he's so much more. Says Adam to Hashem, to me, I have the closest attribute of the dirt. A monkey that comes from the dirt stays a monkey, he's not like the dirt. An elephant comes from the dirt, but stays an elephant. He's not like the dirt. Me, I come from the dirt, but I keep changing like the dirt. Because to me, you should call Adam. That all my children should remember that. Hashem tells him, So tell me what's my name. How would you categorize me? He tells him, You, Lecha Na'e Lehikarot Adonai. My master. Not just my master. Adonai is plural. Master of the entire world. That's the right name for you. Adam Arishon is the one who gave names to all of the animals in the world, including himself, and he gave name to Hashem also. Now, the truth is he didn't give them a name. You know, today they find a new animal, they don't know the name, they give them a name. They name after their grandpa, maybe they, they give him a name. But that's not what happened here. When it says Vayikra, it doesn't mean he named him. It means he figured out his name. It's a big difference. That's why what well, the Malachim could have named him too. Just make up a name. Call him 
table, colon, monkey. No, no, it wasn't about making up names. That wasn't his chokhmah. His chokhmah was he's able to look at the animal and say, this is the essence of the animal. And that's the name of this animal. Like the pasuk says, Whatever name Adam called any specific animal, Nefesh Haya Hu Shemo, which means that the name of the animal is the Nefesh Haya, is the essence of the item. It's the engine of the item. It's the item itself. A name is not just, not in the Hebrew at least, in English, they could just give names. An ox doesn't mean anything. And, an, and a donkey doesn't mean anything besides that it describes something. But in Hebrew, every name of any animal is defining the essence of that item. That's why the word neshama, which describes our soul, our essence is our soul. The two-letter shoresh of neshama, take out the nun, and take out the he, it's Shem. Because the name of a person is the essence of his neshama. That's also why the word Shem, name, is spelled the same way as the word Sham. The word Sham means over there. Over there means you have a target, you have a destination, you have a place to reach. A name gives a person not only his essence, but it gives them a target of where they need to get what they need to do to accomplish. In fact, the word Shem in, in Gematria has 340. Shin Mem, 340. The same exact value as Sefer. Sefer means a book. A name tells a story. A name of a person is not just the way we speak to them or the way we recognize them. A name says a lot about the person. That's why it says in the Gemara that Rabbi Meir, this great Tana, Hava Dayik Bishma, which means he would look into people's names to gain a glimpse of the essence of that person. In fact, Hazal tells us you should be careful when you name somebody. Make sure you give him a name of a tzaddik. A guy named by the name Avraham may have a greater netia to hesed. It doesn't mean that because you named after someone you become a tzaddik. It's not like that. But there is something in a name that gives a certain direction, a certain power to that person's neshama. That's one piece of introduction. A little bit about names. Now I'm going to take you to Parashat Shemini. That parasha discusses Kashrut. What's kosher, what's not kosher. I think everybody here is familiar that when it comes to animals, we have signs that make an animal kosher. Two signs. I think everybody knows that by fish, there are also simanim, there are signs of what makes a fish kosher. What people may not know is that when it comes to birds, there are also kosher birds and non-kosher birds. 
But here the Torah does not give simanim. There are no signs that make a bird kosher or make it not kosher. Torah doesn't give us signs. It just tells us, and these are the birds that you're not allowed to eat. And it lists the non-kosher birds one by one. Anything not listed is kosher. There are no signs. The Ramban brings that although the Torah doesn't give signs, Hazal gave us some signs that if we didn't recognize the bird, we will know if it's kosher or not. Maybe you don't have a homash with you and you're out there seeing, is this the bird? Or maybe even if you did, you don't know what the name looks like. Ramban says, Vehasiman Hagadol Beofot. Which means the greatest siman, the most telling siman of a non kosher bird, says the Rambam, he had derisa. The word derisa means he tramples, he's vicious, he kills. Any animal, any bird, says the Rambam, any bird that you know kills, you could bank on it. He's not kosher. He's from the ones that aren't kosher. You don't have to know the name. You don't have to look it up. If you see a bird that kills other birds or other animals for its food, it's not kosher. That's a siman that Hazal gave. Says the Ramban, why? Why can't I eat a vicious bird? He's not a bad bird. That's the way Hashem made him. But at the end of the day, he's vicious. So he says, Shekol of Haddores Leolam Tameh, it's always Tameh, that kind of bird. Ki HaTorah Hirhikatu. Torah wants us to stay away from such animals. Mipene Shedamo Mehumam. He has hot blood. Le Achzariyuto. Because of his cruelty umolid amerera asrufa shaharhoret venoten akhzarayut belev which means that the one who eats it you ever heard the term you are what you eat so it came from this ramban the ramban says you are what you eat you eat from that bird it works on your midot you become an akhzar like that bird and you want to stay away from that you know it's interesting the Rambam there was a letter that the Rambam wrote to a certain kahal that wanted him to answer a certain question in Emunah and the Rambam wrote them back because they're not so careful with Kashrut he says he's not going to bother answering them because he says a person who doesn't eat kosher properly, he says, these foods are metamtem etalev. They dull this, the, 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 the soul of the person. And he says, kola tshuvot, whatever answer I give you, lo kablu. Yeah, if your heart is closed, any answer I give you, it's not gonna go in. Okay, now we have two things that we learned today. We learned about 
the essence of a name and we learn about what makes at least one of the major simanim of a non-kosher bird. And you're probably wondering, what could this have to do with Hasan? So now I'm going to take you to the same parasha that lists the birds one by one. And I'm going to skip to just one bird that we're going to talk about. Today's class is about this bird. This bird is called the Hasida. The Torah lists this bird, the stork, as one of the non-kosher birds. It's called the Hasida. So Rashi Alava Shalom brings the words of Hazal. Why is this bird called the Hasida? Now, if I didn't give you the introduction, you wouldn't understand the question. Why is this called? Why is the bird called a stork? I don't know, whatever it is, somebody stork called her name. Maybe somebody Hesed called her name, but that's not how it works. If the name of the bird is Hasida, then there is something about this bird that has to do with Hesed. That's why she's called a Hasida. So says Rashi, why is she, why is she called Hasida? She'osa Hasidut. Imagine this bird. She does kindness. Im havroteha with her friends, bimizanot, with food. She delivers food to them. Beautiful. So when you read this Rashi, you say, okay, beautiful. Now I know why she's called a Hasida. But after you learned the Ramban, that there was a second point I gave you, now you get stuck because, wait, if the purpose of the reason, excuse me, why I can't eat a bird that's not kosher is because it's going to bring some very bad midot inside of me. We've been learning about hesed for almost two months now. We would love to eat items that help us in this midah of hesed. And it seems to be the perfect recipe here. We should all go out and buy hasida. Let's eat hasida in the morning and the afternoon till we really feel the essence of hesed that this bird has. So the obvious question is, so why is she not kosher? She should be the most wanted, most desirable bird in the Torah. Some rabbis explain beautifully that if you notice the words of Rashi, he says that this bird, she does chesed with her friends. Now I want to explain something before we go into that point. I think every class given on chesed, whether it's ours or any other rabbi's class, well, anytime hesed is discussed among friends, I believe the reaction of the people listening will always be somewhat the same. People will say, I mean, I could be better, but I'm about hesed. I am. I am about hesed. I do hesed. There's not a person that you know that doesn't do hesed. You know, some classes you go to and you learn something, you say, wow, I never knew that. Wow, okay, I gotta change that. I never knew you can't eat this. I never knew you had to do that. I never knew this was a value, this is important. I never knew. And you walk out and you say, 
I learned something. But the challenge of giving a class on Hasid is that people will sit there and they'll fall asleep. Sometimes you do that. Because you say to yourself, I, I mean, listen, I may not be great in certain things, but Hasid, that's, that's my thing. Everybody in this room is saying right now, Hasid is my thing. I, I, I help people all the time. I help my mother, I help my sister, I help my cousins, I help my neighbors, I help people who need help, I cook for people who need food, I, mean, I help people. So what could I tell you that's going to be a hidush to say, oh wow, we learned something today. And he walk out of here saying, oh you know what we learned today? That hasid is very important. Everyone knows that. So we found, I don't know, the last few weeks, we found every week something. But in reality, I don't know that we walked out of here feeling that we're not Bala Hasid. But it could very well be that as you hear about Hasid and you're so sure that you're a Baal Hasid, that in reality you could be very far from it, even though you think you're very in it. How could that be? How could I convince you now? That you people are not Ba'alei Hasan. That's my job. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make you feel good, but you have to learn something. How can I sit here and tell you now, oh, you thought you're Ba'al Hasan? Oh, no, you're not. I'm not? That's not. Now, I'm not talking to anyone personally, so you're feeling okay. You think I'm talking to the one next to you. No, but I'm talking to you. Whoever is listening, I'm talking to you. You're not a Baal Hasid. And if I told you that one-on-one, -on -one, you'd get very offended. You'd say, well, why is he that to me? I found when you give Musa classes, everyone is happy. Because you think you're talking about the other person. That's fine. It's good. Yes, arrogant. That person, they need it. Trust me. <laughs> Anger? Yes. Those people over there need major help. But if you tell a person one-on-one, -on -one, you know, you're arrogant. What? How can you tell me that? I can't believe it. But I've been telling you that for the last two years. Every day you come to class. How come then you didn't say anything? Because all along you thought I was talking to somebody else. That's what happens. That's why we give classes in public. Otherwise, we would have no more friendships. <laughs> anyway, but today's class is personal. You're not about Hassan. Wow. Wow, hold on. You might be. You have to answer the question. You have to learn something first. And after you learn it, then we can start talking about it for Bala Hasan. You ready? Here goes. Imagine we brought the Hasidah today. Imagine I brought the Hasidah with me today. He's sitting here in this cage. I ask him, what's your name? Hasidah. Why are you Hasidah? Mabal Hasan. And we say, wait, but you're not kosher. You know what that means? It means you're not a Baal Hasan. He would go crazy. Why? Says Rashi, because the Hasidah, she does Hasid im Havroteha. Oh, she does Hasid with her friends. When she likes the person, when she sees eye to eye with a person, when someone is on her good list, then she will help. I will help somebody till no end. If the person has either helped me before 
or maybe one day he will help me or I just like them because like we're on the same team we're in the same family we're in the same group we're in the same school we're in the same class we're in the same club we go to the same shul we're always high-fiving each other we like each other oh of course I'll do I'll do anything for you you ever tell someone I'll do anything for you sounds nice but when you say I'll do anything for you the word you makes you a hasidah because if you're doing hasid only with people that you appreciate and like and connect to and have some sort of relationship with so you're not a bad person you're not a bad person so it's always good to help people but you're not a Baal Hasid. Don't walk in this class and say, I'm a Baal Hasid. You're not. You're someone who does good with Havroteha. And actually in the Torah standard, you're a Tameh bird. You're, you're a Hasidah. That's what it says here. An unbelievable thing. Now, I, know I should have said this a long time ago. I know. It's a problem. You're right. You're right. It's a big issue. Now wait, hold on. Hold on. There's more. I'm not done. Now, somebody might be listening and have a question on me. See, it's good you can't talk because I would get killed. But sometimes I try to anticipate a question that you might have. So my goal is that you should have clarity. So somebody listening might say, but wait, Rabbi, hold on. Doesn't the Torah tell us that we have to take care of ourselves, our family. You're saying everybody's equal. I have to do hazard with this one and that one, my neighbor, my next door neighbor, and the community member down the block, and then the next community member, and a Jew from Russia or South Africa or Israel. Doesn't the Torah give rules? Here are the rules. You know, famous Gemara, the Gemara says in Masechet Baba Metziah, the Gemara says that if two people are walking in the desert, very, very hot, and they have no water, and they're about to die, and they find one cup of water, one guy finds a cup of water, he says, oh, he goes, grabs the cup. Now, unfortunately for them, this cup could only give one person life. If they share it, they both die. If one drinks it, if he drinks it, he'll make it, but he's going he's gonna to have to bury his friend. So what should he do? Should he be selfish, take the, drink the water, and bury his friend, watch his friend die? Or should he share it with him, and then it is what it is? Believe it or not, this was a mahlukat in the Gemara. It says over there that Ben Petura taught that in that case, you should share the water. You can't watch your friend die. What does that mean? You split the water, and whatever happens, happens. You cannot watch your friend die. If you could try to help him, it may not be enough, but try. But that's not the halakha, because Rabbi Akiva came and said, no, no, no. Hasidah 
חייך קודמים לחיי חברך. Your life comes first. If you have the cup of water, as difficult as it may be, you drink the cup of water. You must take care of yourself first. And then you take care of other people. Now this is not about a story in the desert. This is an actual halakha lemaaseh. Shohan Aruch brings this in Hilchot Tzedakah. I'll read you some of the rules. Shohan Aruch says, Parnasat atzmo kodemet lekol adam. Which means you have to take care of your parnasa. You have to put food on your table before you help others put food on their table. He says, you can't give staka until you have your own food. He says, and then, let's say you have food for yourself and you could help others and your parents need help. Well, they go first before your neighbor. Abi ve'imo imhem aniim. If your parents qualify as aniim, then you must feed them first. You can't start supporting people in Israel when your parents are starving. Not even in your own community. Not even your cousins. Your parents get first. Vehem kodmim leparnasat banav. Meaning before your children, your parents come. Veachakach banav, veachakach. Vehem kodmim leachav. There's a priority. Then your brothers come. And your brothers are ahead. Your siblings are ahead of other relatives. But your relatives do mean something. Your relatives are first before non-relatives. Before your neighbors come your relatives. And your neighbors, your block, comes before the people in your city. They all in my city, but these are your neighbors. And the people in your city who need you come before needy people of another city. So one might, and by the way, this doesn't only apply to charity. The Hafez Hayim writes clearly in Ahavat Hesed that this applies to all types of kindness. All Hesed is like this. You have only a certain amount of energy that you can do for others. You've got to prioritize. The closer to you, that's who goes first. So you might be asking me, wait, didn't you just tell me that this is a hasidah? Didn't you tell me that someone who differentiates in hasid, he says, I do hasid with this one, not with that one. Isn't that tameh? So why is Shohan Aruch telling us about priorities? Everyone should be equal. So the answer is a very clear answer. First of all, Shohan Aruch does not mean you should ignore your neighbor because you're feeding your brother. That's not what he means. He means that you should care about both. But if you only have one and you can't give both, so give your brother. And besides that, the halakha says, this whole priority list is only when things are all equal. For example, if your family has bread, but they would like meat. They want to eat meat. They're tired of bread. And the next door neighbor also needs, but he needs bread. 
So should you buy meat for your parents or bread for the neighbor? Halakha says, says the Igrot Moshe and Moshe Feinstein, Zecher Tzadik, of course, you have to take care of the neighbor. He's first. Because his need is greater. So while all these priorities of who comes first are relevant, they're only relevant when everything is equal. But once there's a greater need somewhere else, he goes first. So the Torah is not telling us to ignore people because they're not related to us. They're just saying there's different levels of priority. And by the way, the halakha doesn't mean we should care about them less because they're our neighbor. That's not what it means. It just means that you have a greater responsibility. You have a greater ahrayut for the people who are closer to you. You have to care about all people the same. It's not, oh, feed your mother because you care about them more. That's not what it means. You have to care about everyone who's in need. But you have a ahrayut. You have a responsibility. Where is your responsibility? The closer to you, the greater the responsibility. So it's not out of a lack of care for the other person. It's out of a greater responsibility for the one closer to you. There's a story that happened over a hundred years ago in Yerushalayim. It was a certain neighborhood that they got together and decided they're going to do something. They're going to open up a Hesed society for the neighborhood. What would this society do? An organization. They would lend people money from the neighborhood if they need. Someone has a baby, they'll lend them the furniture for the baby. Someone is sick, they'll cook for them. They'll invite each other for Shabbatot. They had this whole concept of how the neighborhood would do hesed for each other. And they went to get a haskama. They went to get a, an agreement that they should agree with them from the great rabbi, Rav Yoshua Diskin, to get his blessing for this Hesed society. So the rabbi asked them like this, what would happen if someone from outside the neighborhood would come to you and say, listen, I had a baby, I need help. What would you do? They replied, well, we would have to refuse because we've limited our activities only to the people of our neighborhood. So the rabbi said, it's very nice that you're helping each other. And maybe it's a good thing. But don't call it a chesed society. Because that's not chesed. If you're only helping your kind and your neighborhood, again, it's a good thing. Maybe you should do it. I don't know if he told them not to do it. But don't call it Hasid. Hasid has to be for all who need. If you will reject someone who needs, because that's not what you do, so you're not Hasid. You're helping yourselves, helping your community. Fine. But that's not a Hasid society. There is a very, very famous Gemara. You've heard this Gemara many times, especially on Tisha B'Av. 
It's going to sound familiar to you, but I want you to pay close attention when I say it, because if you paid close attention to this Gemara, you might have a question that's very obvious. The Gemara in Masechet Yoma discusses why the second Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. As we know, if the Bet HaMikdash gets destroyed, there's something that we did that was not appropriate. So the Gemara is trying to figure out why. What did we do? What did Am Yisrael do that the second Bet HaMikdash was destroyed? So the Gemara says, Mikdash Sheni, Shehayu Oskim Bo Batorah. Which means, in general, the Jewish people were busy learning Torah. Batem Midrashot were full. People spend their time off whenever they could to study. Ube mitzvot. And they were also busy in the mitzvot of the Torah. Nice. Ubig milut hasadim. And they were also busy with hasad. Helping people. So the Gemara is shocked. Why would a nation that's fulfilling the pillars of Judaism, which is you have Avodah, Mitzvot, Torah, Gemilut, Hasadim, they're doing great. Why would it be destroyed? Says the Gemara, It was a generation that had hatred. And we know this Gemara, we've heard it many times. But what doesn't make sense in this Gemara is, if there's hatred, how did the Gemara start by saying that these people were full of Torah? Well, Torah doesn't necessarily go against hatred. So it's possible to learn Torah and hate people. Okay, check. Mitzvot, you could do mitzvot and hate people, check. Gemilut hasadim. They're doing kindness. How could they do kindness and be full of hatred? What does that mean? Could you imagine a person full of kindness and full of hatred? Is that possible? How does it, how does it make sense? And the answer is, the answer is that you could be very nice and very kind to so many people that for whatever reason you connect to. And at the same time, you can have a lot of sin'ah for many other people that you would never help them. The opposite. If anything that you can do to hurt, you would. Because you hate them. They are those people in your life that you would never help them. No matter what. I wouldn't help that guy. That is the Hasidah. When we have that kind of level, this person yes, this person no. And I'm not talking about only about charity, not only about money. Because Hasid is a lot more than money. The simple way we greet somebody. When you greet somebody, are you Baal Chesed? When you see people, do you give them a warm smile, a warm hello? Do you make them feel like they're important? 
I'm sure you would say, of course. When my daughters come over, all the time. My grandchildren, <laughs> I'm the kindest grandmother alive. My sons, my nephews and nieces, forget about it. They say, Grandma, this aunt of mine, she's awesome. She makes us feel so welcome, so special. How about with your friend? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, every time I see my friend, the biggest hug, the biggest high five. Always have a nice word to say for people around them. But what about the people that are not so close to you? What if you seek a regular person that's not so close to you? You see someone in shul and in class, or you see someone in the street, or someone shopping, or someone in the Bet Midrash, and you just see a regular person, and you're walking by, you're just seeing the other person. What's your response then? Do you respond to that person like you just saw your daughter? Or like you saw your granddaughter? Is that the way you make them feel when you see them? Or you say, oh, that person, I don't know them. They're not so close to me. Just keep walking. No response. Barely sometimes you could tell that you're forcing them to actually lower their lips a little. Just to show a little teeth. Something. You see sometimes like the distant hello. Like I'm saying hello because I know I have to, but really you're not worthy. How many times a day do we see people and we just kind of ignore them? How many times have you spoken to an adult while their children are there waiting and not even bothered to ask the little child his name? He's watching you talk to his mother or to his father for five minutes and he's standing there and he's completely ignored. Oh, but you were so not, you gave the father the biggest hug. The mother got the biggest smile and four or five kids ignored her. What would you say to that? That's not costing you anything. It's not costing you the hello to the father to say another hello to the children. So why are you not making them feel special? You don't think a child would remember and appreciate that you actually asked him his name or said something nice about him? Here you are complimenting the father and the mother about their own kids and the child himself you don't compliment. He's like non-existent. Try it, by the way. Children have given up on adults saying hello to them in the streets. And if you actually said something to the child, they'd be like, oh wow, he noticed me? Haydush. If you're only giving that warmth to the people that are close to you and the people that you're comfortable with and the people that you know, so then that's a hasidah. Again, it doesn't mean you should stop that, but it's not complete. That's not, that's not pure. That's not what hesed is. Hesed is for all. Hesed is treating anybody who needs you with the same sensitivity. And unfortunately, you know, some classes I come to and I talk to you 
as someone who's accomplished in that area. I feel maybe I'm a little accomplished. In this class, do not come and ask me after why I'm guilty of everything I spoke about today. Because I am. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't learn. And it doesn't mean that I shouldn't recognize my faults. And it doesn't mean that I shouldn't improve. It's very difficult to treat all people who need me the same way. It's very difficult. I don't say hello the same way to someone who's very close to me and someone who's not as close to me, even though it doesn't cost me any more. It's a sad reality. Especially people who are below us. You know, people on our standard, whether they're our standard socially or our standard you know, financially or our standard, whatever sta our age standard. It's easier. You have a business person come to your office, you, you, you give them the warmest hello. But what about your employee who's working for you? How about the person who's not on your level? How about people who work for you for very little money and are easily replaceable? Are they getting the same response from you? Sometimes we get back to people quickly and sometimes we don't. And sometimes it makes them suffer. I read a story recently about a guy who went for an interview for a job hoping he was going to get the job very confidently. They told him he'll get back to him. The boss said he'll get back to him. He waited a week, two weeks. Didn't get back to him. He called up, said I'll get back to you. And a month later, he hears that somebody else got the job. He never even got a phone call. And that person would probably not do that to his cousin. He knows enough, and we know enough, that it's important to get back to a person in that situation. You don't have the answer, tell them. You don't think you can hide them, tell them. But suspense, Shlomo Melech says, Me'or einayim yesamach when you light up someone's eyes, says the Mitzvah David, when you have a safik, when you're in doubt, and someone helps you relieve the doubt, ah, it's Not necessarily you got the right answer or the one that you wanted, but there is a simha when sfekot, when doubts are cleared. But sometimes we don't think about that. Why are we not thinking about it? Because the person is not so important to me. Why do I have to tell him? Let him suffer. Who cares if he's sitting home? It doesn't matter. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes it's not possible to help everybody. I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying we should go in the streets and just put a flag and start saying, we're here to help everybody. That's not what I'm saying. But there are very easy things that we can do all the time that don't take away from anything that we're doing for ourselves or anybody else. But we just don't do it because... Our mind is focused only on Havrotea. This is my friends, this is my group. I take care of my group, I take care of my people. Sometimes a person is walking around who needs money. You see them in shuls in the morning or in the afternoons. It's very difficult to deal with, but I can tell you something. I don't know how many of them are legit and how many of them are not. I don't know. I don't know their history, I don't know their background, but for sure, I'm pretty sure they're not 
by millionaires. I don't think so. And you don't have to give them a thousand dollars. But you know what? If I came to shul in the morning and I saw somebody ask me for money, giving them a dollar or a quarter is not going to make much of a difference to me. But it may make a big difference to them. A person walks by and doesn't give anything, it's not disappointing. But what do I have to do with that person? I don't know them. They may not be legit. doesn't matter. If they need help, so give them a dollar. What is it going to cost you? For the doubt that you have, you're not suffering from that dollar or that quarter. Now, it may not mean that much to you a quarter. You say, what's the big deal? What's my quarter going to do? But the answer is that for that person, it might actually do something. And the very fact that you stop and you notice them and you give a quarter, that in itself means something. But very often, again, we're not thinking about them. We're up here. We're thinking about hasad to the, you know, we're giving all these major organizations. We're supporting yeshivot. We're, we're doing big hasad. You know, a guy is giving a lot of money to all different places. All of a sudden, sees a guy in the street or say, right outside of shul. Is like, okay, I, I write big checks. But that's not proper. Because that guy doesn't need your big check. He just needs you to notice him and give him a quarter. It's fine. It's also good. We don't let it cause people pain. Pasuk says, Velo tonu ish et amito. Which means when a person has hopes and expectation for something, for whatever reason, try not to disappoint if you can. Lo tonu ish et amito means don't unnecessarily hurt somebody. The Gemara says, as an example of this, if someone walks into your store and starts asking you for prices of something when they have no intention to buy, you're over in Isur from the Torah. Everybody expects people to look, to try, to see, to ask questions, yes. But nobody who has a store wants somebody to ask them a price when they know that they have no intention of buying. That's causing them pain. When people expect something, don't disappoint them, don't hurt them. That guy who's waiting for a quarter, he, he, he saw you, you're coming, he may be disappointed when you just walk right by him and didn't notice him. At least say, you know, I don't have, I'm sorry, I'd love to give you, I don't have to. It means something. How far does this go? You can't imagine this. The Torah says that when you're plowing, in those days, even today in some countries, when they have a plow, so they don't have, you know, these machines pulling the plow, they used to have animals plowing. They would connect a plow to an ox, to a hamor, and they would go. Torah says very interesting halacha. Lo tahrosh, you may not plow. Beshor ubahamor yahdav. You can't have an ox together with a donkey pulling the plow. You want to have two oxen, the 
to Hamorim, no problem. No axe and Hamor, they can't be Habrutot. They can't go together. Why not? What, what, what do they care? What does the Hamor care about the show? Why can't they be together? The Dad Zekanim says from the Baletos Hot, he says something very interesting. He says that we know that a shore, an ox, is one of the kosher animals. A kosher animal has simanim. One of the simanim is they chew their cud, which means they put the food in their mouth like humans, and then they chew it like humans, and they come down to their stomach like humans. But then at some point it comes back into their mouth and they start chewing it a second time. It may not sound so pleasant. That's what animals do, at least the kosher ones. Good. Now the hamor, he doesn't do that. Hamor eats like we eat, one time and out. Now imagine the hamor and the shul were together in the field, they're working for who knows how long. And all of a sudden the hamor looks at the shul, hey, the guy's eating, he's chewing. Who gave him food? And it makes him very upset. He gets disappointed that the shore got food and he didn't. In reality, the shore didn't get food. But he's just chewing what he had from before. But that disappoints the Hamor. Torah says, do not put them together. You're causing pain unnecessarily to a Hamor. Could you imagine that? You can't cause pain to a Hamor. Forget your friend. That's how it works. Lo tonu ishet amiton. We have to be careful. We have to be careful that when we see people that we don't know and don't necessarily care about, but we have to be careful not to cause them pain. That's part, being, part of being a Baal Hesed. You can't just say, I love my grandchildren. It's not enough. It's not going to help you. You say, I love my family. And sometimes it's hard. Because sometimes the people that we're not paying attention to are annoying. And sometimes they don't even deserve, maybe, our hasid. Let me tell you something that we say every single day in Ashrei. Hanun verahum Adonai. Erech apayim, Hashem is patient. Ugdol hasid, Hashem is great in kindness. So the Radak says, what does this mean, he's great in kindness? In what way is Hashem great? It says, Hanun, Rahom, he's compassionate, doesn't say great. When it comes to Hasad, Ugdol Hasad. Says the Radak, if you notice the word Ugdol is missing a Vav, it's Vav Gimel Dalet Lamed. He says, Shehu Gadel Hasad, what does that mean? Shemagdil Hasdo. Al Adam, his chesed is great because he does great kindness with people. Yoter mima shehem reuim lekabel, much more than they actually deserve. Which which means, which means that Hashem's kindness is not according to how much the person deserves. If we were going to rely on what we deserve when we ask for Hashem's kindness, we probably wouldn't get anything. 
Imagine we ask Hashem for kindness and say, Hashem, please, I really need this. Is this you? Are you, you kidding? You have the spot to ask me? Remember what you did yesterday? Remember yesterday you embarrassed your friend? Did I tell you? Now you have the audacity to ask me for hazard also? Yesterday, where'd you go yesterday? You're asking me for hazard? I told you don't do that. You did it anyway. I told you to go here. You didn't do it. That's how you respect your parents. After I told you, you're asking me for hazard? Are you kidding? Could you imagine someone in your life that all they do is do everything opposite of what you ask them? Sometimes they do what you want. And then, please, could you help me? Are you kidding? I'm going to help you. If we were going to rely on ourselves when we ask Hashem for Hazan, we'd be done. We rely on Ugdol Hasan. Hashem's Gadlut in Hazan, that He's Magdil. He does greater Hazan than we deserve. That's the Hazan we also have to practice. Ki le'olam Hazdom. Hashem's chesed is le'olam, it's always. What does that mean, always? It means it's not based on the other person. Sometimes there are people in our lives that have annoyed us, that have bothered us, that have done things to us that maybe we would appreciate that they didn't. And it bothers us. To those people, we're not doing chesed, for sure. Okay, I'll smile to the kid. It's a little easier. I'll say hello to the people I don't know. But listen, that guy, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what that person spoke about me. You don't know. And by the way, you're probably right. But the midah of chesed must go beyond. If the chesed somehow gonna ruin something, then you have to ask your local rabbi. But in general, just because someone did something wrong to you, or is not deserving of your chesed, there's no reason not to help them or do something for them while they're in need. That's a very hard thing to do. There are people that really we can look at and say, how can I do chesed to that person? After all that happened. But that's what chesed is all about. A baal chesed is for all. Now I want to share with you another very important aspect. By the way, just on that last point, the pasuk says, "Ki tir'e hamor sonaacha robet tahat masao." If you see the donkey of your of your sonaacha, someone that you hate or he hates you, whatever it is, you hate each other. Usually, it works that way. If you see the hamor of the guy that you don't like. And he's robet tahat masao, which means he fell. The hamor fell because he got overloaded. And now the person is struggling to pick up the packages in the middle of the street. Azov ta'azov Make sure you help him. Notice the Torah says, not hamor of another Jew, hamor sona'acha. The hamor of the guy that you don't like. So, so. Amazing is this halacha. The Gemara says that we have two mitzvot. You have to help load somebody if they're loading their animal. And you have to help someone unload if they're unloading their animal. Now, helping the person unload usually is a more essential help than helping them load. Because 
when you're unloading, you're not only helping the person, but you're helping the animal. Because I see the animal's sitting with all this weight on it. So therefore, if you have a situation, should I help someone load or the other guy unload? You help them unload. But says the Gemara, the Gemara says, let's say you have a situation where Ohev, you have your beloved friend, and he is lifrok. He is unloading. He's your friend. And it's the bigger mitzvah. Because now you're unloading. Vesoneh. And in the other side of the street, you have someone you don't really like so much. And he is involved in loading, which is less of a mitzvah. I know where you would go. I know where I would go. I know the bigger mitzvah. What do you mean? I'm going. No, it's not because I don't like him. It's a bigger mitzvah. Says the Gemara Halacha, mitzvah besoneh. You have to go help. Imagine, you leave the person that you love, and you go do less of a mitzvah. You help them load. Why? Because they're soneh. And the Gemara says, keded lakuvat Yisrael. You got to work on that. What does that mean? You hate him. You can't hate him. That's supposed to hate him. You got to work on it. So when it comes to Hesed, there's no room for that. There's no room for saying, oh no, I'm not so comfortable with the guy, I don't like the guy. Whatever you can do, if you can afford it, then you do it. There's something else about Rashi's statement that you have to know. So critical to know this. About this Hasida. I mean, at the end of the day, this class, you're going to have to ask yourself, are you a Hasida or are you a Baal Hasan? That's really going to be the question. Rashi says the Hasida, she does Hesed, Aim Havroteha, because we went through that already, we're done with that, Bemezonot. She does Hesed with her friends with food. Why does Rashi have to say with food? What's the difference? You do Hesed. Ah, there's another part of the Hasida. She does Hesed with food. That's my thing. What's your hesed? I cook for people. Yeah, there's a cute story about a guy, very wealthy man. Some poor person comes to him on Monday. He says, listen, I'm starving. I haven't eaten for three days. I'm dying. Could you please give me money? I need to eat. He tells him, oh, I feel so bad. He says, why do you feel so bad? He says, I give out charity on Sundays. On Mondays, I go visit the sick. I wish you came yesterday. I don't give charity on Mondays. And that sounds like a crazy story, right? But that's what we do. Like we do chesed when we like it, the way we like it. Like I, you know, I know people, they just, I write checks. That's what I do. Last summer, not this summer, last summer, I invited someone to something, nothing to do, by the way, with me. Someone asked me, could you invite this person to this charity thing that it was important for him to come? So I called him. I said, I'd love to invite you to this function. They would love to have you there. It would be a big help for you to come and join. And his answer was, Rabbi, thank you. I write checks. I don't do that. I said, what does that mean you don't do that? He said, I don't do that. Okay. 
So that was the end of the conversation. Now, I don't know which halakha he saw in the Torah when Moshe Rabbeinu came to him and told him what he should do or not do. But, but we do that. We do the same thing. I, I don't do that. Listen, I give people food. And I, don't, I write checks. I don't get involved in this. I don't get involved. But that's what they need you now for. I don't give out on Mondays, but it's Monday. The guy needs you. What are you supposed to do? Bimzonot means that we choose the way we want to do our hasan. We like it the way we are comfortable with it. And that's a very scary thought. Because there's hasan at every single door in every single situation. But we don't look at ourselves. Like when I asked you, are you Baal Hasan? So you're probably thinking about the things that you do. So for some it's writing checks. For others it's helping your school. For some it's cooking for people who need food. Whatever it is, there's something in your mind right now that you do Hasan, which is great. You shouldn't stop doing that. But there's so much more to a Baal Hasan than the things that they do. For example, the next time you get an invitation to a wedding, and it's your third one for the night. So you have three weddings that night. What do you do? You're probably annoyed. Ah, oh, another wedding. I said, I can't. I said, you know what? I don't like weddings anymore. Yeah, people say that. I don't go to weddings. Unless it's my family, I don't go to weddings. As a proclamation. Now, I'm not saying you have to go to every wedding. Could be certain weddings you don't have to go to. But there are many weddings where the person who invited you would be very happy if you came. And if you don't think that I am right, I will tell you a fact. You go to any person who had a wedding, and the next day they will know exactly who didn't come and who came. There could be a thousand people at the wedding, and they know you didn't come. And you you noticed me from all the dancing. How did you not come? A thousand people came. They know. You know why they know? Because when someone's happy, they need somebody to be happy with them. It's just part of a human need that we all that we all have. So when you have a wedding invitation, you gotta think twice. Well, are you a Hasida or a Baal Chesed? The person needs you. He does, what are you getting annoyed? He needs you. The same way you needed them when your daughter was getting married. No, by my wedding, I didn't care if he came. That doesn't matter. You don't have to care that he came, but he cares that you come. People say that. I he didn't come to my wedding. I didn't invite him. I didn't even invite him to my wedding. So why is that good? Not because it doesn't matter if you didn't want him, he wants you. Again, I'm not saying you have to go to every wedding, because sometimes you can't. But that you know and I know that for most people who invite you, they would appreciate that you're there. You would make them extra happy. Nobody wants to walk down the aisle with 10% of the people there. People come, I'm gonna come at 11.30, right before they leave, so I catch them on the way out. Again, sometimes you can't. 
because you have to really figure out your schedule. But you know what? If you could sit there and watch them march, it's, a, it's an item. It brings them simha. That's called hesed. You can't say, but I don't do that. I don't do that. It's not my thing. I do other things. That's a hasidah. Not only going to a wedding, participating at a wedding, dancing with the kala, dancing with the hatan, sometimes even dancing with the parents. It's a big thing. I saw in a book that a kala writes that one of the highlights of her wedding is that after her mother was dancing with her, all of her friends took her mother, put her down on a seat and danced around her. To see her mother with all the friends around her mother. These are girls that lived in her house. They grew up with this woman. That's a tremendous hesed that you could do for a person. You can't just look at your food that you're making or at the check that you're writing. There are opportunities for hesed all the time. How about the day after? Again, not every wedding you go to, but there are some people that you're close to. You know what it's like waking up the next morning after a wedding that you did and that one person sent you a message or called you? Then you might say, well, what's, what's the difference? I mean, it was a nice wedding, it was obvious. Nice wedding, I was there, I did my thing. I went, but you know what? People wanna know, people wanna talk about it. Sometimes people send pictures. It's a hesed when you call someone the next day or send them a message, by the way, it's a beautiful wedding. I really enjoyed it, it was so nice. Big item, easy, not, it's not taking away from anything. Again, some people can't do it, they don't have time. If you can't do it, you can't do it. But sometimes it's meaningful especially coming from you. There's so many opportunities that we can do. I heard once a great story about a great rabbi. I don't have all the details now, but a great rabbi who at three in the morning told his goodbye, let's go. Let's go to the house of this person who just made a wedding tonight. It's a big rabbi, said, where are you going? He said, I'm gonna go to his house. But he went to the wedding already. I know, but I want to go to his house now. But there it's three in the morning. You think he wants to see you now? He says, just take me there. He sits down, but the guy says, wow. The food is really good tonight, no? It's very good tonight. You like the music? How is the music? Yeah, there's so many people, it's so nice. And they started talking. They walked out an hour later. The guy said, well, what are you doing? Why did you go to this guy's house now? He says, this guy has no wife. He says, after a wedding, what do people usually do? They start talking about what happened. Remember this, remember that. Oh, I wish to, oh, this one, this thing. This guy comes home, he has no one to talk to about his wedding. So he went at three in the morning to talk to him about the wedding. I don't know that we're gonna do that. But that's beautiful. That's not a check and it's not food. And it's not something that happens all the time. But sometimes there's a need for that. And if there's a need, you can't say, I don't do that, it's not my thing. 
then you're not a Baal Chesed. You started this class as being a big Baal Chesed. I'm going to take you all the way down. That's my job. Really, that is my job. I'm doing it to myself. Because we have to really understand there's so much more. This class is not about making ourselves feel bad. It's about realizing that so much more within our abilities. You know, sometimes you're reading something and what you're reading about is so perfect for your friend who loves to cook. You saw a great recipe. You know what's a hazard to share with that? I was just thinking about it. Someone's having a hard time medically and you saw something or you read something, share it. You saw an article for, for a certain teacher or rabbi that that could help them, a, a new item that they came out with, or some somebody inspiring, or you read a book that was so inspiring to you, and you know the person that would be so inspired from that book, it would be just perfect for them. And you go and you buy them the book, and you put them in their house, and you say, here, I was thinking about you. Again, I'm guilty on all accounts, I'm not telling you what I do. But I'm telling you, you and I both know that that could be a tremendous hazard. You could be sitting home and saying, well, what can I do for people? Uh, the girl Holly didn't call me. Nobody asked me to drive somewhere. I can't have back. I don't know what to deliver. You could be sitting home literally thinking that, you know, I'm maxed out. There's nothing I can do. And there are things available to you every second that you can do. You have no idea. There's a great rabbi that every time he would read a book, and he benefited from the book, he would call the author. Did you imagine that? Did you ever call the author of a book that you read? You read a book? You know how many phone calls I got for a book that I wrote? None. <laughs> no one ever called me. It, it's scary, it's scary. Oh yeah, people see me in the street. Oh yeah, you wrote the book, yeah, thanks. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I understand. People read the book, they say it's beautiful, great, I love it. Maybe it's not so beautiful, I don't know. But at the end of the day, how many books did you read that you actually liked? And you say, you know what? Let me tell the author. I really enjoyed this book. It was very, give him, give him a little chizuk. Did you think about that? I didn't think about it. Well, why should, who's the author? What do I give about the author? Yeah, he bought the book. What does that mean? What, what do I give what he did? He's not my family, he's not my father. But my father, I would tell him. It doesn't matter. Again, mezonot. I do mezonot. I, I, don't, I don't do calls for authors. I, I don't do those things. I know people who do that. I, I don't do that. It's not my thing. I saw a story. Rabbi Crohn's book, he had a story about a man who became, a, I guess, a very... Um, a good writer. And he was very inspired by his first grade teacher. He remembers that his first grade teacher was excellent in this area and she opened up his talents and his heart for writing, for creative writing. So he was thinking, you know, he wants to call her and say thank you because she really inspired him years ago. She probably wouldn't remember him, but 
So he finds, he digs up, finds a number, and calls him. He's like a well-known teacher of the first grade at whatever school. And finally he calls that guy on the phone and he tells him how much he appreciated what she did for him and what he's doing today and because of her. The woman starts crying. And he tells her, I appreciate you, you know, listening to me. I'm sure I'm one of many who has called you over the years to tell them, tell you how much they appreciate you. And she said to him, actually you're the first one. How many teachers do you know? How many people have taught you or your children? How many rabbis that you know have taught you or your children that have made some impact in your life? Did we ever think to call them? Do you think they would appreciate the call? Probably, they're probably still crying. Again, we don't see it, we just don't see it. We just, we don't think about it. We don't, we don't really, we think hesed is cooking, checks. Smile sometimes, that's it. But it, there's so much more that we could be doing. It's not just mezonot. Well, then a person sitting shiva, how many people go to visit by shiva? This community is amazing. So many people, anytime you go, helping, food, serving, crying, talking. But sometimes you have to think about after the Shiva. Because actually the Shiva is easier. There's so many people. But what happens after the Shiva? Everyone's gone. Everyone checks out at the same time. There's nobody around. And sometimes, some, not always, but sometimes people need a little extra help. Sometimes you need an extra phone call. How are you doing? Someone lost a loved one, someone close to them. Again, if you're in that situation and you could help and you're needed, so it's not only the Shiva, we know Shiva, that's the thing, but that's not only that. Shiva is one type of Hesed, but there could be something outside the parameters of what's normally done that, that you're needed for. How about listening to somebody when they're talking? How many times have you been by a Shabbat table or by a conversation where somebody says, oh, you heard what happened? And they start telling you the story of what happened. And then one guy says, oh yeah, we heard that already. How do you kill the guy? He's excited. He has people listening to him. Sometimes even a young boy on the Shabbat table says a Dvar Torah and some smart adult says, oh yeah, I know that story. Sometimes listening to someone, even if he said it a thousand times, is a chesed. You don't have to say, I knew that. If you know that the person is right now giving something over. I saw a cute thing from a Rekron, actually. Basuk says, Mesir ozno mishemo Torah. Which means if you stop listening to someone who's giving a Torah, Torah, your prayer is also an abomination. Hashem says, I'm not listening to your prayer. So there's different explanations. The Gaon says, maybe, that a person who doesn't listen to Torah because he said, I heard it already. I heard that one already. 
So when you come to pray, I heard that one already. You prayed yesterday. I got that one already. You heard it already? You don't want to listen to what somebody's saying? I said, I heard you also yesterday. So sometimes you got to listen. Along the same lines. If someone is talking and they're enjoying it, just listen. Hashem also listens to us, even though we repeated ourselves a few times. Sometimes not saying is a tremendous hesed. You're going on vacation. Not everybody's going on vacation. You're struggling with your kitchen. You've been on your kitchen for about eight months now. You're not sure how to get it right. You don't talk about it in front of people because some people are struggling to pay their mortgage or their rent. You don't necessarily know who they are. It's a hazard for people that you don't talk about things that might cause them pain. You don't have to share details of things that you do when it may get cause pain to others. Sometimes we talk about our children and how well they're doing in front of other people whose children are not doing so well. Oh, you don't know my son. He got a 98. I'm so upset. I called the teacher. I don't know why they get 100. Never failed the test. And her son is trying to find a school. What are you doing? Again, it's a hazard. No, it's not my thing. What means not your thing? It's also a hazard. You don't have to talk about those things. You got to be careful. People are struggling with different things. Some financially, some they're struggling with vacation, some with health, some with their children. Everyone's struggling with things. You never know who's struggling with what. So sometimes not saying things is a tremendous hazard. Not giving over someone's secret. Pasuk says, Vaydaber Adonai el Moshe lemor. Gemara says from there we see, Hashem said to Moshe to say, that before Moshe could say what Hashem said to him, Hashem told him to say. But if Hashem didn't say to say it, he can't say it. When someone tells you something, be careful not to repeat it. Unless you have permission, or it's something obvious that you can. It's also a hesed to take someone's words and make sure they don't go out in the wrong way or even in the right way when they don't want it to be heard by somebody else. Okay, I'm going to finish off the class. It's time. The Pasuk says, Anistarot Ladonai Elohim. Moshe Rabbeinu says at the end of his life, Parashat Nitzavim. Anistarot, the way Rashi explains this Pasuk, is that Nistarot are things that are hidden. When someone is doing an Avera, in a hidden way, Ladonai Elohim, we don't have, as Jews, responsibility for people who do Averot that we don't see them doing. Ha-Nistarot. Someone who's doing Nistarot, if he's doing sins that we don't see, Lashem Elokenu is between them and God. Ve-Han-Niglot. But when you see people doing something wrong, Niglot, it's revealed, it's not hidden. Lanu ulbanenu. We are responsible. Lanu ulbanenu al-Olam. Like Rashi says, because we are arevim zelaze. We, Am Yisrael, are responsible for each other. So if we, do, if we see someone doing wrong, 
and we can help them, we gotta try. You see a mother doing something wrong, help her. Maybe you have more experience because you've been through that. Call her, she would appreciate it. So many times in life, we could see that something is not right by what's happening there. And it's possible that we can help, not to butt in into things that, it's not our business. Sometimes we shouldn't, obviously, don't be annoying. But sometimes we can actually help people. And that's our responsibility. Whether it's a religious item, or whether it's a personal issue they're having, or it's a medical issue they're having. Someone had an issue that you once had, law in, call them. I, know I went through this, maybe I could help you. Someone's daughter is getting married. It also could be an upheaval of a situation. You know, you could get help here. Let me show you what, what to do here. I went through that. Someone's building a house. Call them if you built one. Someone's building a house. Call them. Why not? You've been through it. You've seen what you did. Maybe you learned something from that. Had neglect when you see someone who needs something and it's neglect, either because they're doing something wrong or because they don't know what they're doing altogether. That's for you. You, you got to step up. But I'm going to give you today a different explanation. A beautiful explanation. It says like this. Hanistarot. When you do something in your life that's good, and you keep it hidden to yourself, la donai is between you and God. Vehaniglot. But when you do something good and you reveal it, not to get honor, not to get attention, but you reveal it so people can learn from you. Vehaniglot. And if you allow people to see what you're doing, you go into class, you tell someone. You're going to help somebody, you tell somebody. You did something good today, you go home today, tonight, you sit around the table, share it. Share that you help someone at work. Share that you help someone in the Bet Midrash. Share that you help someone, or share that you went somewhere and did something. Haniglot lanu ulbanenu an olam. It will be for you and your children forever. It will stay in the family. Talk about it. Sometimes we don't talk out of humility, but sometimes it hurts us. You have to sometimes talk. I heard once a story about two women who work in a school. One says to the other, I'm going shopping today for clothing. You want to come with me? So the woman says, I can't come with you today. I have to go drive somebody. They're having a chemo, and I need to drive them back and forth. I do that on Tuesdays. She says, what? You drive someone to get chemo? So you get a lot of people, they need someone to be with them in that situation. Well, they don't. So I help them. She says, you think they need other people to also drive? So maybe call them, here's the number. She called, and yes, they needed her as well. Now that woman could have just said, you know something? Uh, I can't come today. But I, but I'm busy. Neglect. She opened up. She said, where am I? And all of a sudden, the person gained from that, learned from that. If you see that you're doing something, you don't always hide it. Because sometimes hiding it hides it, the others from doing it themselves. Because there was a rabbi who went into Shiva. Well, then when Eretz Yisrael in Yerushalayim, they're calling for a tent. They need a tent. Asiri, Asiri, they need a tent. He walks in, 
He's the tenth. He realizes it's all Chilonim. Non-religious Jews, totally zero. You can tell from the way they look and the way they're talking. He's praying in Hawadah. He's praying, he's praying, and he's looking around the walls and he sees his Sfarim, his books on the walls. Like religious books. Very strange. He starts to open the books. He sees that they've actually been used. You know, some houses you go and you see the books, they haven't been touched since they were purchased. They're in the exact same order. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet. And they're crisp. The pages are crisp as can be. Gorgeous. It's not a good sign. It's not a good sign. And these books were all like used and ripped. And he sees his notes. What is this? It's a Hiloni Minyan. And the house looks like it's from, uh, from B'nai Brak. What is this? So he asked the son, so whose books are these? He says, my father, Shalom, the one that passed away. He says, why, your father used to learn? He says, I'll tell you the truth, he used to learn, but we never saw it. He'd call, he would close the door, and he would learn a lot. We never, we never part of that. That which you do outside, it will stay with you, with your children. It's a beautiful, beautiful explanation. Anyway, that's the question. Hasidah or Baal Hasid? Gotta be careful. Hasidah is very specific with who she does Hasid and how she does Hasid. A Baal Hasid doesn't differentiate with who and doesn't say, I don't do that. I do anything that I could do to help another person if it's possible. Baruch Allah Amen.